0: This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. No, yeah. Typically, on Sunday nights, our service looks a little bit differently. We have people share. We've had people share, and, and um, I'll share something with you if the Lord's put something on my heart. I shared this with the two services earlier this morning, as the Lord put this on my heart. And, and I just want to briefly talk about this whole abortion situation in New York State, okay? Um, I think that people have been. Raging and upset. The Christians that I've seen on social media, understandably, but I also want to remind us as the church that we are not to respond in fear when these things happen. We're not to respond in anger. I mean, this is the world we're talking about. Like, really, I don't, don't get offended, but like, are we surprised that it's going in this direction? does not mean that we accept it, does not mean that we try to, to stop it from going in that direction, but we need to contain our emotion. And I was it was interesting because my wife and I just had a conversation about it a couple days ago, and I've seen everything and just like the hopelessness of people, even Christians, like the hopelessness that this has happened, and they're so distraught. And the world sees that too. We need to respond in in hope and faith in God. You have a direct lifeline to the eternal God that created you in his image. And these children were also created in what? In the image of God. Kind of like what Clay talked about this morning a little bit. And... You can go to the father of lights, whom there is no shifting or variation of shadow, and you can cry out on their behalf. And I guarantee you 100% he hears you. He hears. So let's rush to the throne of God. Let's put our petitions out and our supplications, our intercession, that God would be doing something in the midst of this Satanic attack so that we can see him move. And I'd like to remind you also, I was just reading this morning in Exodus chapter 23 and 24, where God warns the Israelites as they've gone out of Egypt. And you know what he says to them? It was very fitting for what I wanted to share a little bit about this morning. And now God warns them and says, you better be careful how you treat widows and orphans because if they cry out to me because you're abusing them or misusing them, then you better be ready for how I address their cry and, and the injustice that you've been given them. My confidence is in the word of God. And when I cry out to him on behalf of somebody that seemingly has no rights or no ability to choose, he comes in swiftly and acts on their behalf. I would also like to remind us all That this is not a surprise, and thank God we don't live in a country where it's worse than it is at this point. Thank God we don't live in China where it's mandated. Abortion is mandated because the government says population control, you can only have this many kids, and you're required to get an abortion. Thank God. And right now in China, where they're mandating people to get abortions, that they have too many kids, still in effect today, the church in China is exploding and flourishing. And in the darkest places of the world that we think it's the most miserable and and weird God's gift to, to the world being the United States of blessed America, the Holy Spirit of God is being poured out and people are coming to a right relationship with him. So, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, have faith in God, not in man, not in a political system, not in the kingdoms of this world. And by the way, while we're at it, as we're crying out to God for our country and we're crying out for this immorality and we're crying out for Him to help take care of this situation, cry out for the Chinese, cry out for those in the Philippines which we're gonna talk about in a second. I, I, I don't know if you heard what happened in the Philippines today. Cry out for the people in India because around the world, these injustices can look very much worse than they even do here. The whole world has given itself over to rebellion against God. Forget not that, please. And let us be in a place of coming from, a, a, not a place of, of fiery, hell, hellstone, brimstone finger pointing, which the world already knows, by the way, the Holy Spirit's been sent into the world to convict the world of sin of righteousness and coming judgment. They know. And when you tell them, they can say, yeah, you know why Hollywood keeps pumping out all these, these end, of the, end of the world uh, apocalypse movies? Because they know. They know that it's going to happen. You guys watch the birdcage deal or whatever it is? Yeah, the, the box of bird. You know why the, 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 they were all dying? Because it was the judgment of, of, of the gods on mankind. And they don't even have to have it be from the almighty righteous only God. It can, they can recognize it can come from anybody because we are so depraved. But by the spirit of God, he, he preserves the world right now through his church, the salt and the light of the world. Amen? Amen. So don't lose heart. Don't get mad. Don't start pointing your finger and pronouncing judgment. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Pray for the orphans and the widows. Pray for those who are being persecuted. Pray for those who are, who are, who are mistreated and abused and murdered, because we're going to see what's going to happen tonight. And it's not a pretty picture. But it says in the word that God gives them the fullness of what they had given. He's been taking this for so long, so, so long. And God is not slacking concerning his promises. And he's been taking, he says, here, okay, he got it all. And he's like poker chips on poker table. Here, you take it back. Here, you get it back. This is what you get. This is what you have paid into. This is what you're going to have in return. So I know that that's a little heavy. I apologize, but I really want to be... Our fellowship in our church, I want it to be a right representation of who God is. And I want us to cry out to him and not beat our chests in self-righteousness when we see things happening that we disagree with, even if it's on a biblical level. So please don't misunderstand me. If I didn't make sense somehow in any part of that, please talk to me about it so I can clarify. And... Um, So pray. In fact, let's pray now for the word tonight and for that situation. Father God, we thank you for your word and that your word is true and that it's holy and it's living and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. We can have confidence in it. We can have confidence in you and that when the world is falling down around us and everybody's doom and gloom and worried about tomorrow, we can have confidence in today. And in that your word says, don't worry about tomorrow and that your word says, trust me. Don't trust the systems that have been set up. Don't trust the people. Don't trust what Your emotions tell you, but we trust you and we stand solid on your word. Speak to us tonight, Father. We pray you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive the fullness of what you have to speak to us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 15 and 16 is, this is one of the chapters or two of the chapters when we see that... The book of Revelation doesn't necessarily have to or is written chronologically. This is like a snapshot of the end judgment and really focusing on the point of it being God's judgment that's poured out onto the earth. So here we begin chapter 15, verse one. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having seven last plagues. For in them, the wrath of God is complete. We have to note a few things here as we get started. Number one, we've been talking a lot about signs. So this is something that is going to happen. It looks similar to the best way it can be described. And it's great and it's marvelous. Also, we take note that there's seven angels having the seven last plagues, which we know the, the number seven in the Bible represents... Completion. So, this is the completion, the totality of God's judgment, the finishing of that judgment toward the world. And then lastly, for in them, the wrath of God is complete. We notice that we have not seen this word too frequently up until this point, maybe a couple times. But specifically now, we're speaking of the wrath of God. And it's important for us to understand in this synopsis of the final judgment that God's wrath is not intended for those who are believers. We have Multiple examples of this in the Bible, in the Old Testament. My personal favorite is the exchange between Abraham and the two angels that go to Sodom and Gomorrah to get Lot out. And that exchange is so exhaustive. I think for a specific purpose and exhaustive, I mean, by exhaustive, I mean that why does he have to go down? You know, I can't remember the exact numerical order, but, but it, it starts in, in fives and then it goes to tens because Abraham's got to speed it up to get through down to as low as he can. If 50 righteous, if 40 righteous, if 30 righteous, if 20 righteous, and what, is, what does the Lord continue to repeat to Abraham over and over again? If there's any righteous in the city, it they, they will be spared for them. So, in the end, how many people were recognized as righteous? Uh, technically, how many people were considered as righteous in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? One technically. Now, that's a whole different conversation we can have if you'd like, but I do not believe Lot's wife or his daughters or his sons-in-laws, but specifically his daughters that went with him, I don't think that they would be classified in the righteous category. don't want to really get into it, but the whole let's get dad drunk uh, to propagate his seed, uh, that, you know, I don't believe that there was a level of innocence with that. I, I believe that there was an influence that happened to his daughters, that was from Sodom and Gomorrah and the culture there. They were responding in the in, in a, in a, in a negative way. How much we want a whole lot responsible, that's not the conversation we're having. But one, basically one guy, and he was removed, and God would not judge the city. He would not judge, judge the city for the sake of one. And what was recorded, what was demonstrated that it was the wrath and judgment of God on Sodom and Gomorrah and those surrounding towns, those ones that were dealt with. Same is true. We're not talking about just tribulation. We're promised tribulation. I get it. We're not just talking about bumps in the road, storms while we're sailing on our ship. We're talking about the judgment of God that will be poured out onto the earth. This is like end of story, last chapter, big picture. And you and I, I'm pretty confident, will not be there. However, that looks, I do not know. I would like to have conversations and and dialogue and argue with theologians throughout history. And the reality is you get 10 of the most prolific powerful Bible teachers, theologians together in one room, and and nine out of 10 of them will have a different opinion. Honestly, if I offend you, I apologize. I do not care. The reality is you are not appointed unto wrath, the wrath of God, and you will not be there to partake of it. Whatever the vehicle looks like for him getting you out of that way. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints." Who shall not who shall not fear you o lord and glorify your name for you alone are holy for all nations shall come and worship before you for your judgments have been manifested a couple of things we need to take note here in other portions of scripture at the end of time jacob's trouble is a reference to the tribulation period and it looks like this is just at the end of if not post Jacob's trouble because we see two indicators here, specifically who are the people that are standing on the sea of glass having harps of God? Who does it say? Those who have victory over the beast explicitly, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. So these are the people who went through the great tribulation and were martyred during that time, came to faith during that time and lost their lives or whatever, but they are no longer there on earth. Therefore, the bulls are able to be poured out of uh, of God's wrath. And there they are singing the song of what? The song of Moses. Now, who identifies more with Moses? Who, who do you think identifies the most with Moses? Israel, right? How often do we sing the song of Moses? As I said, I've been reading through Exodus, um, and uh, there is the song of, of Miriam. There's the song of Moses, and I get it, right? But, but, but we sing a different song. We sing a new song. There's an identifying here of the old covenant being fulfilled, the covenant of Moses, their realization of that, and them singing a a conjoined song of the old and the new together, I believe. And look at this is what uh, we see. We see the old song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of what? What? the song of the Lamb. So we do see a Jewish element here. We see a a remnant of people. We've already talked about remnants and we've already seen a remnant, but we see a further remnant here of people who identify as the restored or um, realized Israelites who are true Israel, as Romans talks about. There are some who are of Israel and there are some who say that they're of Israel, but they're not of Israel. They're just... They're not included in, in what those promises are. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have, come, have been manifested. There's always been an exclusivity in the Old Testament for the, for the Israelites and how they worship God because of their position before him. But clearly, there's an expanded view in these verses of not just the nation of Israel, but all nations on the earth rejoicing and, and recognizing who God the Father is and that his judgments have been manifested <clears throat> Moving into another section that leads us into the actual bowl judgments themselves. After these things, I looked and behold, the tabernacle of the temple of the testimony in heaven was opened and out of the temple came the seven angels from the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath, the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now, we've already talked about pretty, I mean... uh, I don't want to say exhaustively, but pretty extensively about the temple in heaven that and how the temple on earth was to mirror that relationship of what the temple in heaven looked like. We see that John has this picture into heaven and these things are transpiring and it's significant that they happen in heaven. And then it's being poured out or replicated or purposed towards the earth itself. Makes more sense when we read verses like that, like uh, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in in the heavenly host uh, because what we see is not what we get here while we're here. And people have influences that... other, that are otherworldly, if you will. Again, I don't want to get too much into it because we have a lot of ground to cover tonight, but we see that there's a response in heaven, there's an action in heaven that's going to carry over and affect those people on the earth. Uh, chapter 16, I told you 15 was short. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and, who, and those who worshiped his image. Another thing that I'd like to uh, note is that people frequently in the Old Testament and the New, they're marked for certain things. Going through the law, considering the bond servant, what were you to do with somebody who, uh, a servant that you wanted to, wanted to turn loose, but they came back and said they wanted to remain in the house? What was the mark of that servant? You take his ear, you put it on the door and slam an nail through it. And that signified them being bound to that house. And it was by their choice. And when they were they were leaving the, the nation of Egypt, there was a sign also. How did the death angel know whether to kill the firstborn or to pass over the house? It was the mark on the door. The New Testament teaches us that you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have been given the gift of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit seals you unto the day of redemption, right? So you too have a mark. We see that the 144,000 were marked. And now we have seen and see again that those who have identified in rebellion against God with the beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan have received a mark. And because they have that mark, they are going to partake of the bold judgments of God, And the first one we have here is this uh, foul, loathsome sore that came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. So, so number one bowl, we have the judgment of God that directly affects the flesh. And we're going to see two types of judgment here as we go through the seven bowl judgments. Either it's going to affect them directly in the flesh, we'll say flesh for the sake of illustrative purposes and understanding, it's going to affect them in their flesh or it's going to affect the environment around them. Both are bad. And either way, it's either the flesh or the environment back and forth that we see God is kind of rocking and rolling till the time, uh, to the point of the seventh seal, spoiler alert, where he just, you know, wads it up like a ball of paper and and is and is is finished with it. So, bowl number one, the people are affected in their flesh. Isn't it interesting? And this is a side note. Needs to be quick. Isn't it interesting how you partake in certain kinds of sin and it affects your flesh in different ways? It's interesting. If you go down the list, and again, I don't want to get into it, but um, you can identify certain things. Um, and and how it affects people directly in their flesh and, and how it produces death. And it's always bad, but man, I'd like to talk more about that. We got too much stuff though. And the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died. So number two, is it flesh or what? Environment. Environment. So now we see... The habitation that God gave man, he's going to curse and come against. And it's the sea. Now, I don't know about you. I make fun of California all the time with all due respect, just out of fun mostly in, in playful love. But how many of you are going to be affected? Well, none of you. How many of them are going to be affected by this pouring out of the bull on the sea and the, or the oceans and it turning to blood? Well, I mean... All the people who are still left in California, which is probably going to be most of them, but that was harsh. (laughs) But the people who are coastal, is that going to affect us? No, not really. I mean, they're the first ones that get it, but keep reading. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angels of the water saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and is who is to be because you have judged these things for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink for it is their just due. And that's heavy. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. However severe the judgments of God come across, we can be sure of this. God's judgments are righteous and true. All of the time. And imagine the, 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 the parallel. Think about that. You have so shed the blood of the, the saints and the prophets. You have so shed the blood of my people that I'm going to give you blood to drink. Is it in comparison to? That's a lot. You know, there's a lot of blood that's been shed over the years. Not getting back onto this train of thought, but think of all of the blood of the babies that have been murdered because of self-worship. Because of my will, not thy will. Think of all the blood that's been spilt because the little K kingdom, I want to be in charge of my life. And the Bible teaches us, the Bible tells us that the blood of the innocent cries out to God against those true and righteous are your judgments. Verse eight, then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire and men who were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. Which one is this? Is this flesh or environment? It's both. Yeah. It's God using the environment to inflict pain in the flesh. He's turning up the heat in the kitchen, literally, I guess. So the environment is so affected, even to the previous ones, but the flesh is scorched and burned Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. You know, the main thing God is looking for here is, what does it seem like? (laughs) Repentance. (laughs) And it's the very thing that they're so unwilling to do. Clay this morning, a brother of mine, good friend, who, who him and his wife planted a church in Waterford, Ireland, and they were there for eight years. Around the same time that Gracie and I planted a church in Split, Croatia, we were also there for eight years. He had a really great point this morning that I'm still kind of meditating on and processing. He said, you know what the, one of the big differences about the church in the world when it comes to repentance? The church and the community in the church should always be engaging in a perpetual uh purpose of repentance towards each other, confessing our sins one to another, admitting where we fall short and where we mess up. And you know, that's the opposite of the way that the world looks like. Nobody wants to repent or confess or say that they were wrong. I watched this documentary, I think it was last night or the night before, about this thing that happened. And it's crazy. There was Tens of thousands of people involved, hundreds in the organization of this thing that happened and, and tens of thousands of people that were going to be involved in it and the whole thing fell apart and all there was, was was a shuffling of blame. Nobody took responsibility. It's not my fault, not my fault, not my fault. Nobody took responsibility for it and the world never will. So why do we get bent out of shape when somebody that we have to forgive is unwilling to forgive us? Why do we get bent out of shape? They're not a believer. They're not held to that standard. You forgive them in, in repentance in whatever your action was toward them before God, first and foremost, before, than before them. They could probably care less. I've repented and apologized to people in my past that laugh at me and call me weak because of it. I don't care. Because as much as I'm doing it for them, I'm doing it more for my relationship with God because I've, I've recognized my need for repentance and I want to be obedient in walking through that. I told you a few years ago, more than a few years ago, a while ago, the Lord put it on my heart to write all the people that I did bad, mean things to because I wasn't a nice person in high school. I wrote all these people and confessed the things that I had done to them. Did I have to? Probably not. Did God require it of me? No, he didn't. He forgave me. But I just felt like compelled to repent, to open an effective door of ministry to be able to share the gospel with people. And I had some people respond and it was great. And I had some people laugh at me and call me an idiot. You're an idiot, dude. I'm like, cool. I don't really care what you think my repentance should look like. I just care what God's perspective of my repentance looks like. And these people were not repentant to the point of we see the similarities of the, the uh, delivering of the children of Israel from the household of bondage from Egypt. And every time, you see, every time Pharaoh's like, okay, pray for me and take this plague away and finally I'll let you go. And, and Moses like, okay, bro. And then he leaves and, and Pharaoh's like, I changed my mind, I'm not letting you guys go. Like every single time I'm like, seriously? And the plagues keep getting worse. Big surprise. And after everything you've just been through, now we're going to send our army to them and we're going to destroy them. Seriously, dude? Did you not see what just happened? The mighty hand of God was, his, his mighty arm was was. was bear against you and you're going to run after them. And I love that account, how it's, you know, the children of Israel, he puts them in this little pocket by the sea and, and Pharaoh thinks that they're trapped and he's going to be able to destroy them. And we forget this point sometimes, I think, I don't know if you do, but I do, that as they're coming, the army rushing to go slaughter all of the Israelites, it says that God takes, you know, the cloud that covered by day and the fire at night. It says he takes those and he switches them. And he brings darkness and confusion on the Egyptian side and light on the Israelite side. And his presence is very clearly the thing that that separates or the buffer that God uses to protect them and i just brought that up for the sake of unrepentance of pharaoh but they're being affected in their skin their flesh darkness Environment. Verse 12 Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Sounds familiar. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. So this is a direct reference to Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 4. We don't have time to get there tonight. But what does Ezekiel 38, verse 4 say? It says that God says that he's going to put hooks in their mouths and he's going to drag them to the... Basically, I mean, it's going to be of their own volition, but he's going to bring them like like having hooks in their mouths, he's gonna bring them to this Valley of Armageddon where his judgment's gonna fall on them. And we talked a lot about Armageddon when we were at that section, the Valley of Megiddo, how we were just there last October and how you have this big, bigger than you can imagine valley. It's very, very large. We stood at the top of Mount Carmel looking down on the Valley of Megiddo. We also went over to the Megiddo Tell, and it's it's pretty incredible. But I want you to take a note here that the emphasis is on the river, the River Euphrates. And if if you don't know anything about the river Euphrates, it is one of the biggest water sources for all of the Middle East, the Persian area. And the Tigris River and the river Euphrates both flow through. And if it wasn't for them, you think it's bad desert now. It would be very terrible. And there's these marshland areas that they, they used to grow crops and cultivate crops up further in the north and they use the irrigation all the way down and there's some people being concerned that the Syrians and other people who have the upper portions of the River Euphrates which is huge they're worried about them and the other countries using too much water but yet there still is enough to go down and for the others to to receive some as well a couple of interesting things that we can't park on for too long why is the River Euphrates brought up specifically and here's a couple fun facts the river euphrates has come up in recent history and this is one of the things that that's interesting speaking about the concern of the euphrates river at one time the river divided into many channels at basra forming an extensive marshland a fine and extensive natural wetlands ecosystem they developed over thousands of years in the Tigris Euphrates basin and once covered 15,000 to 200,000 square kilometers according to the United Nations Environmental Program and the AMAR Charitable Foundation between 84 listen to this between 84% and 90% of the marshes have been destroyed since the 1970s in 1994 60% of the wetlands were destroyed by Saddam Hussein's regime now listen to this, this is key. They were drained to permit military access and greater political control of the native Marsh Arabs. Now what was the purpose of the draining of the swamps and even to some degree if we see God's draining of the great Euph- river Euphrates itself? It's going to, what's gonna happen is it's going to open up this area, especially from the north if we read Ezekiel chapter 28, and the kings of the north coming down, it's going to open up this area and it's going to cause it to be like a highway. It's a, it's a dry riverbed that they're going to have a highway direct access to just uninhibited, totally clear, to just cruise down right into the valley of Megiddo or to the nation of Israel to come against them. Now there's also this this, this idea or this, this, this understanding of... of um, these evil spirits coming out as well. We talked about the spiritual warfare element again uh, previously. There's going to be a heightened uh, intensity in the spiritual warfare. We have the the Antichrist, the the Prophet, and and the the Beast, or the uh, the, the 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 image of the Beast that, that is caused to speak, and we have all of these playing a a, a role in the. Spiritual part, the evil spiritual part of what's going to be happening. So, not only is it going to be a literal benefit for the armies to go down, I believe, but it's also going to have a spiritual implication. And did you know, I'm not sure, maybe you do, but did you know that the great river Euphrates is also referenced in the Quran? In the Quran. The Prophet Muhammad says, The the time will come when the great river Euphrates is going to be dried up and there's going to be found in there a mountain of gold. Now, I don't know about you, but we see the Bible looking at the draining of the river Euphrates as a bad thing. It's a a part of God's judgment. But then we have this false religious system, I would say, uh, undeniably, looking at it as a good thing. So... Do you see the connection here? If the spirit of this world, the spirit of the prince of the power of the air is the one that influences these false religious systems, then sure they're going to be happy when evil spirits are running amok. That's where their influence comes from. So God says, "Ah, that's a bad thing. One of the most well-represented religious systems in the world. And I say religious system because I want to get to that more in a minute. One of the, one of the three most prolific world religious systems in the world looks at this event as a good thing when it happens. Just consider that. Verse 17, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came from the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings. I think it's really interesting, the language. I didn't look up the Greek. Is it tel telestai? You know what Jesus said on the cross? It is finished or it is done. When he said that, there was a judgment against uh, The the, the evil of the world and that death had reigned and that it had been overcome. The access to God had been granted. Reconciliation to God had been granted through his body and blood. The veil of the temple was torn and God poured out his grace on the earth. And now his grace, the age of grace has come to a completion. And now it says again, it is finished or it is done. And now the final judgment of God can commence in its finality. There are noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as a mighty and great earthquake, as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found and great hail from the heaven fell upon them. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent, men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail since that plague was exceedingly great. Now this is where it gets a little more interesting. We're going to continue in the next couple chapters, but this is our introduction to the final judgment of the great city. Whenever we see the great city in Scripture, who is it always referring to? It says it there cheater. Huh? Babylon. This is the great city, Babylon. And the reason that Scripture brings up the great city, is it's not so much necessary necessarily a geographical location, even though it is here because it's talking about Jerusalem and we've seen it talk about Jerusalem in the same context. We've seen Jerusalem has become kind of like a melting pot. And I talked about when we went to Israel last year, how, how these religions had claims to fame and everybody's trying to hold on to a piece of Jerusalem as, as their inheritance or their, heritage or, or whatever. But I would submit to you, and I'm sorry that we don't have more time to get into it, but I would submit to you that the reason that the, the, the city of Jerusalem is, is, is talked about as the great city or Babylon, because all of these false religious systems that were set up are going to come to a place of judgment. And I am big time against institutionalized religion. When we talk about institutionalized religion, it reminds me of the word that Jesus spoke to the seven churches when he talked about the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, some people would argue and say that the word Nicolaitan in the Greek is rulers over or to rule over somebody. And the picture you get is, is people in the church elevating themselves to a priesthood or standard that the people no longer have direct access to God, but the people have to go through this religious man-made system to get there. And I really, it really makes me Frustrated when we start to talk about religion. I was born and raised in institutionalized religion. I know what it looks like. I don't like when people say you're religious or call me religious or use the word religion as in a positive connotation. Do you know how many times the Bible explicitly talks about the word religion? Depending on your translation, people are going to argue between five to seven times. Maybe eight, but distinctly New Testament five times for sure. And do you know that if we put them all together, even if it's the eight, do you know that if you look at every reference in the Bible that talks about religion, only one is in a positive light? All of the other contexts of religion are negative. And to show you this, I I have written down a few of them acts chapter 25 some had questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died but Paul whom Paul affirmed to be alive so so we're talking about somebody else's opinion and questions about their own religion which would be a false if it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ right it would be a false Acts chapter 26. They knew me from the first, Paul says, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Would you say the Pharisees were going in the right direction? You think that's a a positive reference for religion or a negative reference? Colossians chapter 2 verse 23 These things indeed I have have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion false humility and neglect of the body but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh Talking about religion do you think that that's left in a positive light or a negative light Self-imposed religion is man-made system of laws and works a standard that people have made for you to be able to have access and fellowship with God. This is what Babylon s- symbolized, they, that, that the people were in rebellion against God and said, we're not gonna submit ourselves to, to what God says, and we're going to build our own city, our own tower up into heaven, do things our own way so that, that we're not spread out all over the world and, and making no progress. And God comes down and he says, hey, these, these people have something in their heart. And I'm going to have to do something because they're determined. And then he causes the differences of languages. James chapter 126, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religious religion is useless. Do you think that's in a positive light or a negative is somebody who thinks he's religious. This one's religion is useless if you can't control your mouth. And then we have the only one positive reference for religion in James chapter 1 the next verse 27 pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So this is if we look at the totality of scripture the Bible as a whole and we want to we want to break down this definition of religion we can't in good conscience cast it in a good light when it's not typically cast in a good light because typically speaking, religion is man-made. It's, it's a system of works or man's governance of himself. Chapter 17, verse 1 Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations, the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of all abomination. Of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. So here we see a counterfeit again continuously against the, the the true and living God even in his triunity now we have in the time space continuum Jesus Christ who was who is and is to come now we see the the beast identifying or identified as the one who would like people to think that "'was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. "'Those who dwell on the earth will marvel, "'whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, "'in the book of life from the foundation of the world, "'when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. "'Here is the mind which has wisdom. "'The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits.' There are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast." These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw, here's the description of the harlot. The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. The influence of the harlot has gone throughout the entire world. All of the peoples, all of the nations, all of the tongues have given themselves themselves over to this false religious system, which I do not believe. Many scholars believe that it's one identifiably, which you can make the argument for. I think traditionally in our heritage, that is believed to be uh, the Roman Catholic Church, I respectfully disagree in that I believe it's all of the false religions of the world represented, and it's the, the ecclesiastical coming together of all false religions that come against God, including Islam and all of the others, as, as I kind of mentioned earlier. But here we have this woman sitting on many waters, great influence and influence the the whole of the world. And we see these kings that are influenced by her. Now, you guys know that my my brother Rich came up to me before the service and said, did you hear about the bombing that happened in, in the Philippines today? And I hadn't heard because I've been here all day haven't been on any devices at all. We had the two services this morning. We had some meetings in the early afternoon. And, and then here we are back at it again for the Sunday evening service. But apparently ISIS has, has, has taken responsibility of bombing a Catholic church in the Philippines that killed at least 20 people. And the count may be rising as well as injured many, many other more people. And, and, um, and here's the kicker. All of these world religions will all do these atrocities in the name of their God. Isn't that interesting? We talk about the blasphemies written on the harlot, and we see people taking God's name and doing with it whatever they want to their own benefit or to what they believe their mission is. And this goes back to, make no mistake, don't don't even get me started. This goes back to the time of the Reformation. Like I get it was fresh, I get it was fresh, but we had reformers killing Catholics and we had Catholics killing reformers and we had reformers killing Anabaptists, like physically murdering people. This isn't good, guys. This isn't good, right? So we have to be able to separate what true faith looks like in God and our response to that and the philosophy world religion that is connected to and influenced by a harlot that influences people and everybody wants a piece of the pie, so to speak, in the sense that whatever they do, They do unto their gods, but she uh, represents them as a whole. Even going to war, if you're a nation going to war, it's interesting what justifies that war. And many people will go to war in the name of their God, whatever God it is. And I don't want to step on anybody's toes or upset anybody, but even it comes close to home. We need to be careful with what our motivation is, and who we identify with. Because the last time I checked, now I'm, I might be getting close to the line, but vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, okay? Like God is the one that executes vengeance and judgment. But we see that these kings specifically, who are, who are definitely end-time um Players, big players in the end times, but we also see on a global scale the influence of kings and wars could not be with the most pure intention. That's that's all I'm going to say. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom of the beast to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Everybody that I know is influenced by, by one degree or another by their religion. And this is what I believe the harlot represents. They'll say, um, they'll say that openly. I don't think I've ever heard in my lifetime a world leader come out and not say that their motivation was um, disconnected from some kind of religious purpose or motivation. And I, I may be wrong. I really want to get through 18 if you guys can bear with me because this is all about the woman that rides the beast. And if we stop, we dissect that and slow our progression of the big picture. But after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily and with a loud voice saying, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Why is she referred to as Babylon the Great? Now, again, we don't want to digress and go back to the the city of Jerusalem, but the big picture Babylon the great is man's construction of a religious system where he defines and makes the rules for what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And it's always based on some kind of works-based mentality, religion. You look at all of the religions of of the world, every single one of them, and Christianity is the only one that by faith you are saved By grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. Everybody else is based on something that they have to do. In fact, the words of Paul ring in my ear when he says to them, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's interesting. There's a connection. Babylon the great has fallen for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the fornications and then committed idolatry with her. The merchants of the earth have become become rich. And we have the dwelling places of demons, a prison of every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Who has bewitched you what you have begun in the spirits you thought that you can complete in the flesh? This is the representation of the religion of Babylon false man-made religion saying that what you do will get you to where you want to go in regards to uh, right relationship with God. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues, for her sins have reached the heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. And the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she has uh, glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow for she says in her heart, I sit as queen. I am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Because my heritage, my background, I'm Polish. My great-great-grandfather and grandmother immigrated from Poland to the United States. They, My Polish ancestors worked in the Polish coal mines of northeastern Pennsylvania, and their religion, their world religious system was Catholicism, and that's where I come from. I can identify with this false religious system of Catholicism. And I will tell you that the first time that I went to Rome and I took a tour of St. Peter's Basilica. When I walked in, I became physically ill. I was sick to my stomach of what these people said represented God. So when you read this stuff about purple and treasures and gold and luxury and, and, and art and over the top, temple, this building, which connects a little bit later. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but what but w- was paid with by the selling of people's souls. False religion, Babylon the Great. The religious system has, has um, broken in those people on earth, not just the harlot are going to be held accountable verse 9 the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning standing at a distance for fear of her torment saying alas alas that great city babylon that mighty city for in one hour your judgment has come And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys her merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple silk, scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory. Look at this list, you guys. Every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble. This is including all of these false religious systems. Cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and bodies, and souls of men. I get to that part and just kind of makes me crazy sad. "'The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, "'and all the things which are rich and splendid "'have gone out from you, "'and you shall find them no more at all. "'The merchants of these things who became rich by her "'will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, "'weeping and wailing and saying, "'Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed "'in fine linen, purple and scarlet, "'and adorned with gold and precious stones and and pearls, "'for in one hour such great riches came to nothing.'" Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like the great city? Do you know how much money is in institutionalized religion? We're talking about the sailors and the sea. This is just the trade of the world is going to be impacted by the fall of these false religious systems. They're not going to bet. It reminds me of when, when Paul goes to Ephesus and starts preaching the gospel. Who's the person that Paul really ticked off in Ephesus? Anybody remember? And there was a riot because of it. It was the silversmith. The one who was going to be directly affected by the acceptance of people believing the gospel and turning away from false gods. See, because there's no money to be had in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter said, silver and gold, we have none, but what we do give, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and be healed. Mm -hmm. There's no profit, but spiritual, physical, redemptive healing by God, which is really what it was supposed to be, how it was intended in the first place. They threw dust on their heads, 19 and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city, in which all who had ships this on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. You know what really makes me scared? When I'm not connected to the internet, which is pretty hard to do these days, and I bust out my Bible app on my phone, there are certain Bibles that I cannot use offline. Did you know that? Why can't I use certain Bibles offline? Why? Because they're copyrighted, right? Which means that they benefit financially from the word of God being used. So you can read it on the internet, but if you're off the internet, you better buy it because they want a piece of the profit, which means that the word of God is not free, that somebody's charging for it. And I feel very nervous for their sake. Very nervous when I can read another translation that has no copyrights because of its age or whatever, but some people are charging for you to be able to see it, and I get it, but I get the business side of it, but at the same time, I don't get it because I see this this world mentality coming through of profiteering, and I don't want to have anything to do with it when it comes to God's word. Look at verse 21. You guys mind if we finish this up real quick? Everybody okay? Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city of Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. At what point in the New Testament is there a reference by who speaking of taking a millstone and throwing it into the sea? Does anybody know? Jesus... The disciples say, hey, you little children, you stop bothering Jesus. And they start to prohibit the little children from coming to Jesus. And then Jesus goes into this diatribe where he says, do not prohibit the little children from coming to me. In fact, if anybody causes any of these little ones to stumble, it is better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. And now we see the millstone... Being thrown into the sea and those false religious systems who caused stumbling on the earth throughout all of history, finally being judged and placed where they they ought to be in the depth of the sea. Babylon judged, removed. Verse 22, the sound of the harpists, musicians, flutists and trumpeteers shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. So the question is, why do we have to hone in on Jerusalem? for this, is because whatever pure happened in Jerusalem, whatever holy the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, whatever truth in God's word is represented there, the world has so taken and twisted it and flipped it around that now what's represented in Jerusalem is the fullness of the false religious systems of the world. And if you look at the three you look at the Catholic Church, you look at the Orthodox Church, and you look at Islam, the three remaining superpowers, so to speak, representing the majority of people on planet Earth, and you look at them and you see their gold and their precious stones and their precious wood and their religious institutions and their their ordinances for man to live up to, you see the representation today I'll tell you what, they had this place in Jerusalem, was, uh, it was the, uh, the, 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 the shrine of the tomb. And I'll tell you what, if Rome made me sick, maybe God prepared me for this, because it's the most gaudy, ridiculous thing that you've ever seen. You think that it's like this little hole in the wall or something. It's this this shrine that people are waiting in line for however long to be able to go in and peek inside this gold-encased monstrosity that represents the heart of their religion. And it makes me so sad that these people have been so deceived. I was walking in a basilica on the border of Hungary and Slovakia with a pastor who was over uh, part of the Bible college in Hungary that we were going to. And we walked in this gigantic basilica and we're looking at all this ornaments and all the baloney. And he, he scoffed and he said, "Ugh," and he started making fun of the people. These people are so stupid. And the way they've given into this and I turned to him and and the Lord has used this verse, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but I was still learning at the time. And I said, you shut your mouth. These people are deceived and there's no way that I'm gonna stand here and listen to you make fun of them because my family are are included with those who are deceived. They've been deceived. This is a world religious system that the enemy has used to deceive the nations. And I pray for their restoration. I pray for the revelation of the true gospel to them. The sorcery, all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God for true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He has avenged on her a blood, the blood of his servants shed by her. Now, there's a lot of blood being shed. We already talked about that, right? but because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants and shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Jesus spoke about that end times and he said that there was going to be a great falling away. The love of many growing coal. Paul also talks about the end times. What does he say? There's going to be a great apostasy. An apostasy is is the rejection of the truth of God and a buying into this religious system. I don't say this stuff to scare you guys. I know that I come across super passionate because I have personal experience with it. I just... I, I just get so frustrated when I see the deception of the enemy in people's lives and, 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 and how quickly, like the Galatian church, we are prone to start edge back into a workspace mentality and say, this is how we have right standing before God. I've even had to deal with it to be completely transparent with you with a few people the last couple weeks in the church. People saying, this is not how it should be. This is what the church should look like. And I, and I say to them, be careful that you are not setting up a standard of righteousness for others that you yourself cannot live up to either. Be careful that you do not have a plank in your own eye while you're trying to address the speck in your brothers or sisters. Be very careful because we've all been cleansed by the same blood and you cannot perfect in the flesh what was begun in the Spirit's. So here we see the picture of the judging of these false religious systems. We see how if there's one geographical location on planet Earth right now that, that can represent them in, in somewhat too close to in totality, we see the nation of Israel is kind of representing that split into. Did, it, did you read that part? I didn't, over, I didn't emphasize it enough. The city was split into how many sections? How many parts? Three parts. And right now there's three sections of Jerusalem that the Orthodox, the Catholic, and the and Islam um, hold their claim to fame and heritage in. So with that, let's close with the close with a word of prayer, and then we'll have a little extra fellowship. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Um, we see that much of this is a mystery. You've revealed some of it to us, but God, we also want to be in a place of where we're open to be taught. We're not prideful and acting like we know everything. We want to submit to you that we know we love you and that you do know everything, and we're grateful for that revelation that you have given us. Help us to have soft hearts and to receive your word in humility and to be able to present it to others in humility as well when you give us the opportunity. We love you. Pray that you bless my brothers and sisters, and that you fill them with your Holy Spirit for for the good works you've called them to to walk in since the foundations of the earth were laid through this week. In Jesus' name.